Welcome to Weekdays with Jesus. Today's sermon is by John David Mull, and our song today is written and sung by Denise Tavis. Morning. Uh, I was just down in Texas for uh, this last week, helping some churches learn to be missional and think differently. Uh, and one of the things that strikes me, this was the first of five immersions over two years. So every six months I'll be down there uh, helping these churches. Uh, I spend a lot of time particularly with the pastors. Uh, every church brings a group of people, but generally there's a pastor there. Uh, and one of the things that's always amazing to me is how many of them feel empty. You know, we, you would expect us to feel the most full, right? We're people who live in the Word of God and deliver the Word of God, and they are a lot of guys who just felt empty. And I think God's Word speaks to that today. And so I want to dig into it with you. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would move in this place, that you would remove distraction from our hearts and our minds, that we might hear from you. Holy Spirit, speak. I pray that you would speak through me, that you would give me the words you want me to deliver. And if I start speaking things that are not true or I go down a path you would rather me not go, I pray that you would shut me up and move me aside. In Jesus' name, amen. I, I didn't always plan to be a pastor, you know. I've told you before that whenever I was a kid, I had planned to be the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. It didn't work out, uh, and so I went for other things. I, uh, I went to college initially to be a physical therapist. Uh, I liked sports. It kind of kept you around sports. You make money, all seemed good, right? But uh, before all of those things, uh, I don't really remember this, but I'm told uh, by my parents that uh, I had a brief period where I showed an aptitude for art, where they thought maybe I would be an artist. Matter of fact, uh, there was a Saturday morning uh, when my parents woke up, um, and if you're a parent, you can feel this. Uh, they woke up on a Saturday morning. I was only like, I was less than a year, almost a year old, but less than a year, and they woke up, and it was later than it should have been, and I had not cried. And so you know, as parents, you, you panic for one of two reasons. Did they die, or are they doing something they're not supposed to be doing, right? And so my mom said, go check on them, and so my dad comes in, and she hears him go, Oh, my God. And then he came back and got into bed. <laughs> and she said, what's going on? And he said, you have to go see. And she came in. And apparently, uh, my mom said an expletive. Uh, I can only think of a couple times in my life that my mom said an expletive, but this is one of them. John David bleeped all over everything. <laughs> Apparently, I had done what you do in a diaper, and then I thought, what a wonderful medium. 
and I did some painting. Myself, the crib, the walls, everywhere. And I look back and I think they missed something there because I was declaring, I am an artist. But they saw something different. I spent a lot of my life uh, feeling like God looks at me the way I think my parents looked at me that morning. Whenever people later in the day said, uh, you know, what do you think of your kids? How do you love them? I mean, how's that Jason? He's, he's three and a half, four years old now. Oh, he's so fun. Yeah, everything's... And, and John David? Well, that kid is a mess. Literally a mess. And I often felt like that's how God looks at us, right? I grew up in a very traditional Lutheran church where I came in, and every week uh, we, we busted out the liturgy and went through that thing. Now, my pastor was not a singer, so he would speak his parts, and then we would chant our parts back. You know what I mean? Uh, but we'd also always come to the, the confession, and every week I confessed that I, a poor miserable sinner. And that just jumped at me every time, you know, because it fit my notion of how God thought about me. I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto thee all my sins and iniquities with which I have ever offended thee and justly deserve your temporal and eternal punishment. And I've spent a lot of my life, and I've learned that a lot of the pastors that I spend time with have spent a lot of their lives feeling like, God loves me, I'm going to heaven because he has to love me, because he made a promise, and God keeps his promises. God promised that if Jesus died for me, and I believe in that, then he has to save me. And so when God looks down at John David, who every day is making a mess of everything, he says, there he is, my kid. He's the dumb one. But I love him because I have to, because I promised I would. And so with that, I really spend a lot of my time feeling empty in this world. You know, just kind of waiting around for heaven to come so then he'll make me the person I'm supposed to be because I'm such a screw-up the rest of the time. I think we often feel that way. And I'm telling you this, there's a lot of pastors who feel that way. And our text is telling you something different. But it's also confirming some of it. This text that we commonly call the Beatitudes... Uh, this text where Jesus speaks to us, where he says things like, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, is declaring something amazing to you. It goes on and it says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, a better translation for that, are the lowly. Blessed are the lowly, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. A lot of times I feel like this is a list of things that God's telling me I have to be, instead of telling me they're things that I am. And what he's saying in the midst of it all. 
See, I think we miss some of the things in this because I don't think it's translated the best for us to fully understand it. The Greek word here that we're translating blessed often is also translated as happy. Happy are the poor in spirit. Does that sound good? The better translation, I think, for us to get across that uh, Dr. Gibbs uh, from Concordia Seminary really drove home with us is it should be translated saved. Saved. Saved are the poor in spirit. Saved are those who mourn. Saved are those who are broken. Saved are the ones that this world beats down. Saved are the ones who make messes on the walls in their cribs. Saved are they. And then there's a hugely important word in this text. It's the word for. And I've talked to you about this before, and Stephanie said she was really glad she wouldn't be here today uh, because she's going to pick up Haley from a church camp that she's at this weekend and because I talk about the word for. Because the word for in Greek, and you've heard me say this before if you've been here for a little while, is the word hati. And when you're learning Greek at the seminary, when you're cramming it all in in 10 weeks, you have to learn these words really fast, right? And so sometimes you put things to them so you'll always remember, and I will never forget the word hati. Hati translate into for or because. So I remember this word going, I like to go back to my apartment because my wife is a hati. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'll be here all week. That haughty word is huge because it's Jesus speaking. And what he is saying in these texts when he says, saved are the poor in spirit. And he is talking to this huge crowd of people and his disciples. And he's saying, saved are you poor in spirit people because I am here. Because I am here. And he's saying to you that you are blessed, you are saved because you are empty and I am here. And what do I do? Jesus says, I fill you up. It's my gig. It's my job. It's what I do. It's why the Father sent me. Because he looks at you and he does not go... He looks at you and he goes, my creation, my creation, yes, they've messed it up, yes, they have broken it, yes, they have torn it apart, but they are my creation and I desperately love them so much so that I send my son to these who are poor in spirit, to these who mourn, to these who break things, to these who make great messes, to those who've gone before us and did the same thing. And he says, I, I love you. I love you. I love you and I won't stop loving you. I will walk through this broken world with you and I will love you through it. When you mess up, I will come to you with my grace and peace and I will point you back to the cross and I will say, saved are you. So I'm telling you, it's not that bad of a thing to be empty. Empty before God. Because our God loves you and He loves to fill you up. 
Our God says, in baptism, I made you mine. And that is not just a moment where I poured water on you. I'm pouring it on you for the rest of your life. I will not stop pouring grace upon you. I will fill you up. And I will fill you up with what is good. And I will fill you up with hope. Why? Because I'm here. Because I'm among you. Because I love you. In Ephesians, it says this. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. I think that's what Jesus is standing there saying when he's looking at this huge crowd and he's speaking beyond that crowd throughout the generations who are going to have faith in him and saying, yes, you are poor in spirit. Yes, you are empty. Yes, you have nothing to offer to save yourself. But I love you. And I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to give you what you don't deserve. I'm going to give you hope. I'm going to give you my life and my death and my resurrection because I love you. That's how God feels about you. He does not look at you with a huge sigh. In Psalm 146, he says, I delight in you. Do you get that? God doesn't just love you. This is life-changing for me. The first time I was told this, and I've said it many times to you, and I'm going to say it again and again and again. God does not just love you. He likes you. God likes you. He made you that way. He likes that you're super coordinated or not at all. He likes that you are great at speaking in front of people or that you break out in a sweat and pass out at the thought of it. He likes you. He likes that you're good at that sport or that you're not. He likes that you have a beautiful voice or you have one that sounds like, you know, a crow dying. And he likes when you lift that thing to him in praise. He likes it. He delights in you because you are his. You are saved. Yes, you come to him poor in spirit, but he fills you up. What? Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. That word complete there, it can be translated as filled. Then you will be filled with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. God is pouring it upon you. He pours it upon you, not just to full, but to overflowing. That's the way he feels about you. Right where you are. And there are people in this room going... That makes sense for a lot of the people in here, but not me. You don't know how empty I am. Matter of fact, I'm not empty. I'm filled with gunk and gross and nasty. I have done a lot of evil, awful, horrible things. And Jesus looks at you and says, blessed are you. Saved are you. Because I am here. Because I've overcome it. Because God the Father loves you and He even likes you. And He's excited for you to represent Him in this world. Do you get that? 
God the Father is excited for you to represent Him today. When you got up this morning, He didn't go, there's my kid Mike. No, He goes, there's my kid Mike. I'm so pumped that he's going to go out today and represent me. There's my kid Steve. I can't wait for him to go and live for me today. There's my kid. There's my kid. There's my kid. And I love him. And I love delight in the fact that you get to represent me today. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. He's overcome it. Jesus says, Blessed are you. Saved are you. There's nothing too big for my love and grace and peace because God the Father loves you so much He sent me to die for it. I've overcome it. And I love you. And I like you. And I like for you to cuddle up and snuggle with me. I like it. I like you. That's God's word to you today. And our relatives and our friends who've gone before us in faith, they are experiencing it at another level. We don't weep for them today. We celebrate for them today. We may weep at the loss that we don't have them here with us, but know this, they are experiencing God's love and like at a level that we can't even fathom. But I am sure that they want you to know how He feels about you. God the Father loves you. He fills you up. You are no longer empty. Because God has filled you with love and grace and peace. To overflowing. And he says, I am so excited for you to go out in the world today. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how pretty you are. It doesn't matter how good looking or what great clothes you have or what car you drive. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past or what you're going to do in the future. He is pumped for you to represent him today. Today and tomorrow and every day until you spend eternity with him in perfection. Our God loves you. Our God likes you, and our God is excited for you to represent Him. Excited for you to represent Him. Amen? Heavenly Father, we, uh, we come to you recognizing that when Jesus stood on that mount and said, saved are the poor in spirit, that He was talking about us. Because, Lord, apart from you, we are, we are empty. We, we are empty. We, we don't have anything to offer to you except what you give us. And so, Lord, if we think about it, we've got a lot to offer because you have filled us with love and grace and peace and hope. You have said you love us dearly. And you have overcome our sin, sickness, shame, and grief. So, Lord, we have to ask for forgiveness because we have run back to those things again and again. In our desire to be filled up, to fill the emptiness that we feel inside of us because of our brokenness, Lord, we chased after the things of this world. We tried to fill it with money and clothing 
and possessions. We have tried to fill it with the love of people in this world. We have tried to fill it with bad relationships. Lord, we have even tried to fill it with with awful things. We tried to fill it with pornography and theft and and just all sorts of terrible things. Lord, we tried to fill it with gossip and, and, and lies. We tried to fill it with so many things and we don't deserve your love. But for Jesus' sake, for his life, his death, his resurrection, for Jesus who stood here before us and said, blessed are we, would you forgive us again? If this is your confession, then say, please forgive me, Lord. Please forgive me. And Lord, thank you that you do. Thank you that you love us so much. Thank you that your son has overcome all of that darkness. And thank you, Lord, that you fill us up. Fill us again today with love and grace and peace. And Lord, let it overflow and remind us that you are excited for us to go and represent you today to go and share what you give because we have got a lot to offer to this world because we have you because your son has overcome for us because wherever we go you go with us we've got a lot to offer lord thank you we pray in jesus name amen hi this is denise tavis and i'm here to talk about the song live the love Live the Love is a song I wrote in 2004 as a reaction to Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ. The movie is such an up-close and personal view of what it was like for Christ to go through what he did for us. And the song was a result of both how guilty I felt as a sinner and how much hope I feel because of his ultimate sacrifice. Verse 1 talks about Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane and his priceless oil becoming blood. There's a little backstory on this. In 1989, an article came out in the Journal of American Medical Association that walked through much of the physical aspect of Christ's death. My husband, who's an orthopedic surgeon, drove in further and put together a presentation about the physical death of Christ. One of the most eye-opening parts of the presentation for me was when the physical process of sweat becoming blood was described, the constriction, pressure, and pain that Christ would have felt for this to have happened, the fact that Christ was in a place that literally means oil press, the symbolism of that and the sins of the world pressing on Christ really hit me as this being the place where Christ truly began his suffering. Then in the chorus, There are the words, it was my hand that nailed him to the cross, but it was his love that held him there in pain. I just kept thinking about how Christ could have saved himself, but his love held him in that place of suffering for us. Verse 2 is about the gift of communion for us and that reminder of forgiveness and grace through Christ that we can be an ongoing part of. The song doesn't really follow a song form very well. It was more of a free form of emotion at the time. The ending was kind of a punchline and a hard question to myself. Given the freedom I have because of him, am I living in a way that reflects this incredible love that was shown for us?